and that's Acts 18, 24 through 28. And in your bulletin, on the back of the bulletin, you'll notice that we put in the scripture for next week. Um, so after today, you can go home, you can read next week's scripture, y'all can get together and try and guess what I'm going to preach about. <laughs> also, I, I, I do need to mention, because it was brought up in the 8 o'clock service, reading the scripture ahead does not replace coming to church next week. <laughs> I didn't think it had to be said, but it does. Luke writes, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, were, who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Here ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. Let us go to God in prayer. O Holy God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we left Paul off in Corinth last week, and now Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and Priscilla and Aquila traveled to Ephesus, and then from there, Paul went back to Antioch and into Judea. Now, while Paul is gone from Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila are there, Apollos, a man named Apollos, arrives. Apollos, uh, you may be familiar with if you've read uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. There was a controversy there that some wanted to say, well, I'm of Paul, and others were saying, I'm of Apollos. And Paul writes and says, what is this nonsense? For I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It doesn't matter who you are from, but it, we are all for God. It is all for the glory of God and Christ Jesus. But Apollos, we, we learn here in Acts, when he arrives in Ephesus, is an eloquent, competent, knowledgeable preacher of the word of God. And in fact, we, we know from what is spoken about Apollos that he is a better preacher than Paul or at least he's a more preferred preacher than Paul. Because Paul writes and, and admits, I mumble and stumble over words, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you even understand anything I'm saying. Those are Paul's words. But Apollos, Apollos is fervent in the spirit. He's eloquent. He's learned. He knows how to speak and engage the public. I mean, even at the end of this scripture, he's out there boldly refuting the Jews, proving that the Christ is Jesus, something which... Paul, when he attempted to do, got him persecuted every time. But out here is Paul, Apollos publicly doing so with boldness. Now, we know Apollos is from 
Alexandria, which is a leading city in the Roman Empire, has a university. It was also one of the first places believed that the gospel traveled to from Jerusalem. For there in Alexandria was also Philo, the great thinker, during this first century. And out comes Apollos. Now, Martin Luther is the first to believe and and to uh, assume that the author of Hebrews, that is not determined and we don't have any real knowledge of, his best educated guess is that it was Apollos. Apollos who learned the scriptures, who was able to point out that Jesus was a Christ in the Old Testament. And because uh, Hebrews is written most likely to Jewish Christians in Alexandria, pointing the fact that the Old Testament and the old ways are gone and that we now rest in Christ Jesus. So we learn all of this about Apollos, all these great things. Yet one sticks out. They said, but he only knew of the baptism of John. He didn't know the baptism of Jesus Christ. He didn't know that we are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so Priscilla and Aquila, instead of publicly rebuking him and criticizing him in front of others, pull the preacher to the side and teach him the way of God more accurately. Now on a side note, that's the perfect behavior for congregation members to deal with their pastor when you disagree with him. Privately. We're more receptive that way. But he only knew the baptism of John. Well, what is this baptism of John? Well, we can travel back to the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Mark. In fact, I'll go to Mark. And there in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we see what the baptism of John is about. That John appeared in verse 4 of chapter 1, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Of repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is the baptism of John. It wasn't done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When John baptized for repentance and forgiveness of sins, you weren't baptized into Christ. You were baptized into your repentance and into your forgiveness. And that baptism would point to the Messiah that was yet to come. This was the purpose of John's ministry. He even said as much that his purpose is to point to Jesus. So much so that when Jesus came to John, John looked at him and said, no, no, I must be baptized by you. And Jesus said to him, no, so that it may be, so all righteousness may be fulfilled, baptize me. And that's where we get the baptism of Jesus. And so we see Jesus is baptized by John and and it's here that baptism changes, right? It says about Jesus that in those days, in Mark chapter one, verse nine, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That's why the doves are painted on the stained glass behind us, representing the the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus at his baptism. 
And when you get closer in the baptistry and the painting up there, you can faintly see two other doves coming out of the clouds. Because at Jesus' baptism and at all the baptisms therein after in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within the one baptized. See, Jesus even goes on baptizing himself. In John chapter 3, verse 22, we are told that uh, someone approaches John and says, but Jesus is over there baptizing on the other side. And he goes, yes, I am only to point to him. We are not in competition. Jesus baptized himself, others. But Apollos only knew the baptism of John. He only knew of a baptism for repentance and forgiveness of sins. He didn't know of the baptism into Christ. He didn't know of the baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He didn't know of the baptism that we are buried in likeness to Christ. And when we raised, we are raised into newness of life. As Paul writes so eloquently in Romans chapter 6. And so Priscilla and Aquila pull him to the side and instruct him on the baptism of Jesus. And what does he instruct him? They tell him about Jesus' great commission found in Matthew 28. Jesus' final words, his instructions. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' own command was that we go out and make disciples. And he gives us a twofold process in knowing if we've made disciples. We've baptized and we teach them, teach, we are teaching them to obey all that Christ commands. Teaching, it's, it's the continual aspect of teaching because a disciple is a continual aspect of learning. So the teaching never ends. The teaching is continual. But a disciple that is only taught and not baptized, a person that is only taught and not baptized, well, according to the formula given by Jesus, is no disciple at all. And a disciple that is only baptized and never taught the commands and obedience of Jesus, they too do not fall into the category of disciple. But this is what Jesus commanded. Even the Gospel of Mark records it, and he records it a bit differently. And it's disputed the ending of Mark. But in 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, here Jesus says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But when he goes on further, he says, but whoever does not believe will be condemned because it's impossible to simply be baptized without believing. For we know through instruction of Scripture that if you are baptized without faith, it means nothing. In fact, you're almost having condemnation wash over you because you do not have faith in Christ. But clearly, we see in Jesus' life, 
We see in his ministry where he baptized others. We see in his final commands to the disciples that for Jesus, baptism matters. It matters greatly. And his instructions are clear. He says, baptize them if they want to. He doesn't say, baptize if you can. He simply just says, baptize them. The instructions are made clear for us. And in the book of Acts that we've been reading now this year, baptism matters. It matters at Pentecost. It matters to the apostles. It matters to the new believers. Baptism matters. And here is Apollos in Ephesus. And he only knows the baptism of John. He doesn't know of the baptism into Christ in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And because baptism matters, Priscilla and Aquila pull him to the side and teach him the way of God more accurately. We can sit here and say, okay, baptism matters. But why does it matter? Why is it important? Why does Jesus and the apostles and the scriptures uphold baptism and put great importance upon it? It matters because we see in scripture at baptism, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the doves descending upon Jesus at his baptism. It's what we see throughout Acts. And in fact, it at uh, Paul's own conversion and baptism, we read these these words in chapter 9, beginning in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. So he regained his sight. It says he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. There's no explicit language telling us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, except for the fact that it says he was baptized. And we know that at baptism, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So at Paul's baptism, he must receive the Holy Spirit. And so at our baptism, we are given the Holy Spirit. See, we are also baptized not only to receive the Holy Spirit, because we are Christians. We want our lives to be like Jesus. And so in likeness to Christ, who was baptized, we too are baptized. And because Jesus commanded it of us to become his disciples, We are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because we see like Christ that the Holy Spirit descends upon us at baptism and the Holy Spirit is important to our own lives, to everything we can do in this new life given to us through Christ. It's the very power we have. It's the one who convicts us, who counsels us, who holds us, who loves us, who gives us the power and the strength. See, Paul writes to Titus, who he sends on to Corinth later. He writes to him in the third chapter, verses four and five, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, 
He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is baptism language. Now, often the argument is made that baptism is uh, works righteousness. Folks, falling backwards a couple inches is not a work of righteousness. But it is the grace of God that comes over you, especially out here in the Atlantic Ocean. I recall when I baptized my daughter earlier this summer, it was a glassy day out on the sea. And we take her out there about waist deep. And as it's time to go to immerse her in the water, suddenly God provides a wave. And I don't even push her backwards, but God overcomes her with the water. There is no works righteousness done in baptism. It is falling backwards into grace. And we receive the Holy Spirit. See, Paul writes to this church in Ephesus. The one where Apollos is right now in the book of Acts. Paul writes these words in verse 13 of chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So at baptism, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And here Paul tells those in Ephesus that the Holy Spirit is given to us in earnest to receive our inheritance. It is an earnest contract. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, the scripture tells us. That on the day that we come to collect our inheritance, if God does not show up or fulfill his promise, we get to keep the Holy Spirit which would mean God would cease to be God. And we would keep the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is another reason why at baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit is so vital. With it comes the assurance of our faith. For you see, baptism matters. It matters throughout scripture. It matters to the believers. It matters to the apostles. It matters on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and Peter goes out and preaches. And then those thousands that came to faith say, brothers, what do we do now? Does anyone know how Peter responds? Repent and be baptized. And he continues on, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are the first words proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Peter in his first sermon given on the streets of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. This is the truth of baptism, that baptism matters. We see that in the apostles' words, throughout Scripture. Yet we know this, that baptism alone, by itself, does not save. Baptism without faith, without repentance, does not save. 
For if it could by itself, Jesus would not have gone to the cross to give his life while we were yet sinners and shed his blood for our sake. We know that by the same Apostle Paul who says that baptism matters, he also proclaims that it's by faith in Christ through grace that we are saved. Jesus, Paul, Peter, the scriptures, all of them together intertwine faith and baptism. They are not made separate. They are not ranked one above the other, but they are held in equal esteem because baptism matters. It's both mysterious and necessary. Jesus commands it. He instructs us to do likewise for others. Baptism matters. Apollos was lacking in his knowledge of the baptism into Jesus Christ. So he was instructed to be more accurate. He was instructed to preach the full gospel. Priscilla and Aquila taught him that. He learned it from Paul, who according to the word of God, learned it directly from Jesus himself. See, next week we'll read in chapter 19 that Paul returns to Ephesus. And Apollos is gone, but... Paul begins to speak to those believers in Ephesus who, do, who only know the baptism of John. So he begins correcting the church. Because baptism matters. We saw the first instructions from Peter. We see what happens with Paul on his missionary journey. They come to faith and immediately are followed by being baptized. And it's through baptism that we are officially adopted as sons and daughters of the God Most High. It is our faith in Christ that says we have the right to become sons and daughters of Christ. And it is through baptism that it is our official adoption ceremony, that it is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Baptism matters. Now we'll have discussions in churches and and in Sunday schools, and we'll even want to debate and argue with one another that it is faith alone that saves, and others that say baptism is necessary, but I would urge you to understand that we are trying to lift one up over the other when scriptures don't point to that. When the scriptures and the apostles and Jesus point to the importance and the necessity of both because both are good and holy. Faith matters. Baptism matters. And they matter because most of all, Jesus matters to us. Amen.